Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Hello, quality people, healthcare leaders, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, with the Quality Coaching Company, and thank you for tuning in with episode number 16 of the Healthcare Quality Cast. So, quality people, Want to share your opinions, give feedback, or tell me what you're thinking, then please send me a voice message. Voice messages are an easy way for you to send an audio that might end up on a future episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. They're the latest feature from Anchor, the platform that I use to make this podcast, and I would love to hear questions from you that you may have for me. Tell me what you're thinking related to each episode that we bring you, or heck, you can even just do your best impression of me and send it over. I promise that I'll see and review all of your messages, and I may even set it up to be aired on a future episode if it's appropriate. You can send me a voice message right now from wherever you're listening. Just tap the link in my show notes, and I can't wait to hear from you. Now for today's show, I'm excited to bring to you a leader and healthcare professional that I've known now for over 12 plus years. Our paths first crossed when I entered the industry in 2007, and it's been a pleasure and honor to watch Bianca Briola move up the ranks, starting as a management engineer, up through operations, and into her current leadership role as VP of Enterprise Value Optimization. Now, a key observation that I've clued into over my career is that when it comes to good leadership, it's essentially two types of people out there. There are those who try to lead well and those that simply do. With Bianca, I've had the opportunity to watch her full transition from trying and into doing, and that'll be key to keep in mind as you listen to this episode because you'll hear it shared throughout many of her reflections. In this episode, Bianca shares a great childhood story that completely mapped her career journey that she's on today. She walks us through the diversity and versatility of the roles that she succeeded in, she shares with us the secret behind her endless, endless, endless supply of energy how she uses humor to build strong teams. She tells us what early careers are looking for in their healthcare careers and how to establish a personal board of directors. Accomplished, delightful, energetic, fun, focused, and brilliant are only some of the thoughts that come to mind when thinking about Bianca and the sharing that she gives to our audience today. Thank you so much, Bianca, for joining in on this episode number 16. Quality people, thank you as always for tuning in and making our show a part of your day. And last but definitely not least, as we come off of our Memorial Day holiday, we at the Quality Coaching Company would love to give a big, sincere thank you to all present and past U.S. servicemen and women. Please enjoy episode number 16 with Bianca Briola, and please drop us a voicemail when you're done listening. All right, so Bianca, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am. It's, this is great. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, we love to start every show off with positive affirmations, really get a, a good momentum going for the show, and would love for you to share a favorite quote or favorite mind share, uh, excuse me, a mindset, but also share with us how do you apply it on a daily basis? 
Mm, so this is a this is this is a hard one for me. Um, what I find myself saying to my team a lot is, "You can never go wrong by doing the right thing," and I have to remind myself of that all the time. And I wish I knew who said it. I want to say that someone told me that Mark Twain said it, but I can't say positively that that's the case. And you know, I'm in consulting, and consulting has this reputation of being very fast-paced, a little bit cutthroat, and sometimes a little bit, you know, on the edge because there are television shows that portray consulting, and it's not really like that, obviously, but when we get really um, amped up and want to do the right thing and and succeed and help our clients be successful, we have the opportunity to miss some steps or you know, cut some corners, and we always have to take a step back and say, you know, you what's the right thing to do here? It might take longer. It might it might um, not make people happy. We might meet resistance, but let's, let's do the right thing here. And I think that we talk about that almost on a daily basis in the team room. You know, in the consulting world, we have team rooms. They're not in offices necessarily. I even have a colleague, Antonio Quinones, who I say I like him being on our projects because Whenever we have an ethical dilemma, I'll always turn to him and say, all right, moral compass, what do you think? Because we can never go wrong by doing the right thing. And he usually weighs in, and of course, guaranteed he's going to give us the guidance of, okay, this is the right thing for us to do here. This is the ethical thing for us to do. So I appreciate his perspective. That's awesome. And um, I've had the pleasure of knowing you now, Bianca, Lord knows what. 12-ish years, plus or minus. And yeah, must I, be. Must be. I cannot imagine you doing anything but the right thing. So um, so I love that quote. I think that, that fits the person that I've come to know in you over the past several years. Thank so um, I appreciate that. I appreciate you, first and foremost, for being on the show. Um, I know we're going to have a blast with all the questions that I'm going to throw at you, but um, question number one that I have, could you share with our listeners what was your introduction into quality and what led you into this career path? How did you get started? You know, I have a really good story about how I got into healthcare, and it seems kind of silly now, but in the 80s and early 90s, um, and I think they still have it, but at the time it was exclusive to daughters. They had something called Take Your Daughter to Work Day. I think now it's Take Your Child to Work Day. Um, and my mom, she was a Spanish and Portuguese language interpreter for the Cleveland Clinic. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So the Cleveland Clinic had this program where you could take your daughter to work, and I got to miss school, and she brought me to this huge spaceship the Cleveland Clinic that was massive and under construction and there were all these physicians and nurses and other providers there and people in wheelchairs and it was so fast paced, right? And you can see how cool it was to see all this technology and this was even in the late eighties, early nineties. And she would bring me on on Take Your Daughter to Work Day several years in a row and I just thought, Oh well obviously this is where I'm gonna work. And I don't think that I acknowledged that there were other places that people could work. This is just where I would work, right? So so being introduced to all of her colleagues and doctors, I mean, it was so fascinating. She would tell me about people that came from all over the world to come and have surgery at the Cleveland Clinic, and that just seemed fascinating. So the entire time I was growing up, I was hearing all of these stories um, from my mom about patients that she was encountering and cool things that they were doing at the Cleveland Clinic. So as I got deeper into my education and then ultimately into my career, it just seemed obvious that I would be in healthcare. It, you know, there was no brainer. 
I would say the my first introduction to quality was a little bit later. I didn't really feel like I had a place in the quality world because I wasn't a clinician. And I, I do think that that's a common misconception that only clinicians, only providers, only nurses, only therapists, pharmacists have a role in quality. Um, but as I got deeper into my career and was introduced to quality metrics through, at the time, I was at Duke Medicine, the balance scorecard, there were so many individual quality metrics that we were actually getting paid off of or penalized for performance, and that just blew my mind. So no matter what I was doing on the cost side and, and doing cost reduction, there were all of these investments that we needed to make related to quality for obvious reasons, right, because it's the right thing to do, but also there were these financial implications. So I started asking more questions, and there was a great group of very amazing nursing leaders um, at the community hospital that I worked at at the time. It was Durham Regional, now it's Duke Regional Hospital, that were so generous with their time and really educated me and spent time explaining, you know, why this was important, but also what they were doing to help improve. Um, and then I could see and meet the patients that this was impacting. So that was just like mind blowing, right? But I don't think that I quite had made the true connection between quality and margin yet. And that I was very naive and that level of sophistication didn't come until later in my career. And to be honest, to this day, I'm still finding these connections. So that's kind of the evolution of my exposure to, to quality and performance improvement at the highest of level. And take your daughter to work day. Well, I, I look forward to it. Actually, my wife and I just had um, our first daughter not too long ago. So, oh, you got to bring her to work. Yeah, might have to might have to make that a thing again. But no, I, I love. I love your story. I love that connection drawing all the way back to your childhood. Uh, Bianca, I'm just curious, would would you be able to at least maybe name some of the positions that you've had throughout your healthcare experience, just so folks get a taste of your background? Yeah. So I think that the first entry into meaningful work in the acute care environment was really when I started as a management engineer with Duke Medicine. I mean, that was really my most eye-opening experience. Uh, prior to that, I was doing a lot of research and kind of like peripheral, high-level kind of consulting work, but but really the operational, in the weeds, in the trenches type of work was as a management engineer and performance services at Duke Medicine. And I was um, assigned to the community hospital, which was a blessing. I didn't know it at the time, but the community hospital, because of resources that community hospitals have, even if it's a mid-sized hospital, you got to learn how to do a lot of different stuff. Um, there isn't one person that's just assigned to each type of genre of performance improvement work. So you have to be pretty versatile. You have to interact with a lot of people. And that was the best learning experience I had. And from there, I was able to get promoted to the director of business operations. A lot of my work there was focused on, you know, the, the bottom line specifically in the clinical space, so clinical contracts, managing the nursing budget, um, labor productivity, you know, all that type of stuff. And then later, my role expanded to be the director of patient experience as well. So, again, another key quality intersection. Um, at the time, HCAPs were just being introduced, so we were learning how, how that 
uh, was going to impact us. Um, not only that, but better understood the math behind and the statistics behind you know, what our patients were saying were really important to them, um, and then the downstream impact of that. So I grew up in the Duke Medicine System, and then um, after a few years in that role, I decided that I needed to broaden my perspective because really my acute care vantage point was really specific to an academic you know, system. Um, Duke Medicine is high achieving, of course, but I needed to get some other perspectives across the nation because I felt like I was not going to be an effective administrator or leader if I didn't reference other ways of doing things. Because, you know, admittedly, when I was at Duke Medicine, I just assumed that Duke was the best and everything that we did was the best. And why would, you know, why would we do anything different? And that is not the case. I mean, Duke is fantastic. There's no way around it. It is a amazing, groundbreaking, innovative organization, and yet there are other innovating, amazing, groundbreaking organizations out there that I wanted to learn from, and I didn't get to see that until I went out there and became a management consultant. So I'm very thankful for that experience. And as I got deeper into consulting, I ended up uh, being kind of good at it and really enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the people I was meeting. I was given a lot of amazing opportunities by uh, other leaders at my consultancy and have been able to get promoted several times. And now I am a vice president in our consultancy, and I really focus on a multidisciplinary, interdependent, well-paced performance improvement program approach. Um, and what we do is really focused on helping organizations of all size really tackle different types of operational, financial, and strategic issues that they're dealing with, but in a coordinated way, kind of all at the same time, as opposed to stacking them back to back. Because organizations can no longer wait to do things. They have to be able to do things at the same time in parallel. And yet some of those things are very interdependent. And if you move too fast in one arena, uh, like population health or managing uh, at-risk payer contracts, um, but you're not changing your operations to help maximize that, then you're in trouble. So so doing it at a really smart, strategic pace is so exciting. I love it. I get, like, all like, nerded out when I talk about this. It's, it's so nuanced. It's so delicate. Um, and I love that the team is really good at doing this. So, I, you know, I could talk days and days and days about this. But yeah, so now, so I now lead that portion of our practice that focuses on these broad transformational type of activities. All right, wonderful. And that was a that was a truly just beautiful outline of your career path. So I appreciate you for for throwing in that extra or letting me throw in that extra question for you. Um, so Bianca, what I'd love to do now is take us to a dark place. Um, I would love. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I don't like to go to a dark place. Yeah, we're going there early, get it out of the way so we can enjoy the rest of the talk. But, um, no, uh, would love for you to share with us a, a moment that you would consider perhaps your worst moment as a healthcare quality, quality leader. But, you know, take us through that experience, um, tell us a story, and maybe also share with us some of the decisions or thought processes you may have been going through at that time to turn the situation around. Well, you know, I I thought of two different situations. <laughs> one is more comical. The other one is not. Um, so one happened earlier in my career. I was a management engineer, 
and um, the CEO of the hospital I was working at at the time um, popped in at 8 a.m. in my office and said, hey, I need you to present at this meeting in like two hours. Um, and it was on research that I wasn't really solid on. We had just talked about it preliminarily. I think it was health disparities research, which, you know, can be very difficult to present. Um, there's always a lot of questions. There's a, a lot of messy data related to disparities. So I, I didn't feel great about doing it. And unfortunately, the presentation was going to be in front of essentially the senior leaders of the entire system. And being a fresh management engineer, I had no exposure to this group of people. But the biggest thing that I was really freaking out about is I was not dressed to present to this group. I think I had you know, regular business slacks, a blouse, and a sweater. I did not have you know, a jacket. I just didn't look presentable. Uh, it was going to be a slow day for me. I was doing a lot of analytics in my office, so I had dressed for that. Um, so <laughs> this was a major catastrophic event at the time because I, I was not prepared and I was really embarrassed and scared. I was less scared about the actual content. And I was so lucky that I had a very good friend. Her name is Heather Spencer. She's now uh, the leader of the NC State Student Health Program. But at the time, you know, we were just two entry-level ding-dongs, and she just polished me up, put lipstick on this pig, and sent me on my way, and I felt so much better. <laughs> so, you know, I did the best I can, and she did the best she could with what we had, and I always think back at that because clearly the message is, like, always be prepared. So from then on, I always had a jacket in my office or high heels or something, right, to pull yourself together. Even to this day, I always have backup clothes because you never know when you're going to spill something. So that's more of a practical, you know, kind of comedic horror moment. And it happens, and everyone has those stories. I think the the one thing that I think about when I think about a not-so-great moment, it actually happened um, last year or two years ago. Uh, someone on my team had made a small mathematical error in their analytics and it happens right and and my misstep was not you know really questioning or checking it because to me it seemed very reasonable because um, it was not a big error and yet that was presented to the executive of a system and he took that number and ran with it you know uh, he felt like it was a great example of uh, an opportunity that his team was missing and he really um wanted to showcase this as a as an issue and like a failure in their system right so how could we miss this and later um, my team member said hey by the way i found a mistake and i waited too long to let that executive know not because i was hiding it from him but more so i didn't think it was a big issue you know it wasn't super off um so I was just going to mention it the next time I met with him, and that ended up being a week later. Well, we met, and it was a big issue because um, he found out, obviously, and was very upset that he had gone in front of his leaders and wanted to hold them to account for this missed opportunity. And even though there, it was a real opportunity, it was real, you know, even with the mistake, it was still it was still a real opportunity for them to improve. Um, he brought 
incorrect information to his leaders and that that hurt his credibility, right? So instead of his team taking responsibility and wanting to correct it, they were saying things like, this number is right, where did you get this from, this is not accurate, and we lost so much credibility with that leader, so much credibility. Um, and what he said to me was very hard to hear, you know. You, you made me look foolish. Now we've all lost credibility. It's going to be very difficult for us to do anything, even if it's accurate. And he was right. He was absolutely right to the point where we almost couldn't recover. You know, it took a lot of months of rebuilding that relationship, triple checking our analytics. It's not common for us to make mistakes like this, but we are human. And all I can do is apologize, but it hurts. Um, it hurts a lot. And of course, my teammate was upset because I had to take the bullet, but you know, that's part of being a leader is you gotta, everyone's mistakes are your mistakes and that's just how it is. But it was a very difficult day, very difficult time for me. Now, those are, uh, those are very, two very introspective stories. Um, now I appreciate you sharing both of them. So, you know, with the first one I heard, you know, takeaways around the need to, you know, almost always be prepared, even even on those days where we know we're just going to be stuck in the office. And so, you know, for me, it's coming in maybe with a polo shirt or at least with the tie off and having a very similar experience. Um, uh, I also heard points about confidence, being prepared with the material that you need to present, being prepared and comfortable with the room of of leaders and executives you may present in front of. And just, again, you know, as a former football player, we used to say, look good, feel good, play good. And so same thing now in a professional vibe. There's a story that you shared there. (laughs) Yeah, very similar. You know, you wanted to look good so you could feel good and present good. So, um, and fortunately, Heather was there to back you up as a great team member. So a lot of great points there. Your second story, again, I was just jotting down a few notes, but, you know, you, you, your team makes mistakes. It happens. That's not, I guess, the big issue, but just that that need for the quick follow-up and owning the mistake, you know, losing the credibility is the fallout. And, uh, again, very, you know, I have my versions of that same scenario. Um, that loss of credibility takes months and a whole lot of apologizing. If you're lucky, you could do something, you know, like taking them out to lunch or, you know, drinks after work if you're really, really lucky, but it just takes time to reestablish it. Um, but one of the last points I wrote is that as a leader, you took the bullets. And I love that because that's that's something you don't always get from leaders is, you know, I, I've had the leaders that would easily hang you out to dry, and I've had the leaders that would stand up and actually take the bullets for me in those situations or, you know, me when I've led teams and led the staff that I've managed, you know, I, I try to do the same. So I appreciate you sharing all of those. So a lot of takeaways just from the two stories. Um, any key points that you would love for our quality people that would listen to this interview to also get from your stories, you know, from your point of view? No, I think that you, you summed it up. But, but I love your, your mention of bullets because that jogged my memory. I've told my team several times over and over again, you know, I will take a bullet for you. Hands down, I will take a bullet for you. Just don't let me don't put me in a situation where I'm having to take a bullet all the time. You know, don't kill me with your bullets, right? Because that builds so much trust with them and it gives them air cover. I want them to feel safe and and learn from the experience. Watch me get the beat down, 
because then by watching me get the beat down, they learn how to take the beat down, right? And it happens. We're, it's just, our careers are tough. We work in a very high stress, um, impactful area. And and part of being a leader is, is doing that. I'm sorry to hear that you've had um, bosses that have not done that for you because that's just oh so slimy. I hate it so much. So uh, I'm proud. I'm proud of my team, and they help me so much. So why wouldn't I do that for them, right? But I think Absolutely. you did you did a great job of kind of summarizing. I love your editorializing. It was good. All right, awesome. Well, let's uh, let's dig out of that hole now for the move us. Yeah, I don't want to be there anymore. <laughs> All right, so Bianca, would love for you to give our quality people one tip or a tool or a tactic that you found works very well for building intimate connections within project teams that you've led. Um, share with us, you know, what it is and how do you apply it? Oh, this is super easy. So I I use humor constantly. I think that. The more my team is laughing, the better. Because, you know, in the consulting world, we're traveling, we're away from our family and friends and our loved ones. We have to deal with the frustrations of lines and cancellations and missed opportunities. Um, and, and that can be very stressful. It's a very stressful world. And also, we're incredibly client-centric. So if the client isn't happy, if our members are not happy, we're screwed. We, you know, that's, we live and die by their opinion of us. So you're constantly on, and that can be um, exhausting. So the more that we can cut up and laugh and have inside jokes or make fun of each other or, gosh, if they make fun of me, that's the best, um, the better. We spend so much time with each other. Essentially, we're living with each other, right? Even though we have different rooms in the hotel, we spend – breakfast, lunch, and dinner with them. Uh, we, I sit at a table in the team room with three other people, and we share a table. Uh, I look at them every day, and, and you have to be able to relate to them and use humor. And I even have some running jokes, right? So um, I like to have my famous phrases, and they'll be able to just rattle them off if you ever talk to any of them. But uh, one of my ongoing jokes is when I'm giving an example of a hospital, I'll say, you know, Cheeseburger University Medical Center, or I have a degree from Cheeseburger University. You know, so I use cheeseburger all the time as my example. It just gives them a chuckle when I'm just trying to give an example. Um, or I'll ask them, you know, I don't, I don't want to um, hear how the sausage is made. Just, you know, I want to eat sausage. You just mix it up a little bit so that they – they think that I'm human, that they think that the work we're doing is uplifting and can be fun. That's super important. And then the second thing is absolutely appreciation. So I know that all of my success in my career, particularly as a leader, not so much as I was younger, but my leadership success is 1,000% contingent, dependent, and on the backs of the people that I have on my team or my colleagues that I work with, this is not um, something that I did for myself. It's not something I made. I am not that special. It is a combination of all these people who work hard every day to help me be successful. There's no doubt in my mind. I look at people every day and I see, wow, they are so brilliant and smart. I have no competency in this area, and they are only adding to my reputation, to the success of my organization, to 
my own personal competency and what they're teaching me. So I have to acknowledge them as much as possible, and it's not enough. Um, I try to post pictures of them on LinkedIn because I find that people love to see pictures of them, and I love posting pictures of them, so I'm taking pictures of them all the time, or I'm talking about the cool things that they do, or I'm promoting them within my own organization, or talking about how smart they are to our clients, just because they deserve that. They work hard, and they really need to know that they're growing in their own career, they're growing in their own subject matter expertise, but also that they're important. You know, I, I think that that's super critical. I hate it when people wake up in the morning and don't want to go to work. That's just the worst. And I've been there. I've totally been there. Um, and I don't want anyone to feel like that if they're working with me. That's just the worst. No way. Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to go totally off script here, Bianca, and say that as you share that entire story, you know, your your approach to, um, you know, balancing your team with humor and then just showing appreciation, I just have to say this is one of my most favorite interviews already because, again, I, I had the chance to at least to start my healthcare career with you in the office with me. And I remember sitting back and was just thinking, she's going to be such an amazing leader one day. And now to hear oh, you. Oh, that's to so know, sweet. No, seriously, to know that you're in the position, but to hear you after all these years kind of share the story and your approach, um, you know, the the tagline with this show as I've gotten it up and running is that I want to highlight, you know, exciting and expiring professionals. And you are literally the person and the, you know, the, the personality that I had in mind as I got the show off the ground. So I just want to say thank you again. And thank you for sharing that story. I think those are two tactics that um, haven't been shared so far with the, with the interviews that I've had, but I think they're spot on to, balancing the work that we do because it is serious, it's critical, it's, you know, stressful at times. And so your approach, kind of putting myself at the table with you, if I were on your team, I think that would totally just make it worth it and make it very easy to approach. So so thank you for uh, kind of taking that approach and sharing those those inputs. Thank you for those kind words. No, no, no they're, they're well-deserved. So I, I truly mean it and, and I appreciate you for it. But um, to jump to the next question, get back on script now, I guess. Um, okay, 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 let's go. would love for you to uh, take us to one of the best aha moments that you've had as a quality professional. But again, you know, take us through the mindset. Um, how did the idea come to you and how were you able, if possible, uh, how were you able to turn it into a personal or a professional success? Mm. Okay, so I was thinking a lot about this. <laughs> I have aha moments every day because I realize uh, that I don't know anything. <laughs> and every day I'm learning something new, right? And and as you learn new things, you can connect them and tie them together to things that you already know. Um, and and I recognize that I have some gaps in my knowledge about not only our industry, but even in my specialty areas, right? So so it's always exciting when I have somebody teach me something that, that totally didn't hit my, my radar or did not register with me in the past. So as of late, I've just been so fascinated with care variation work. Like this is just the, the coolest stuff, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Specifically with care variation, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time in the quality space with those traditional metrics, which 
are super important, right? We we are compensated on them. They have huge impact on the the, the outcomes of our patients. Um, but more and more, I'm getting super nerdy and wanting to intersect quality and cost or quality and finance because that's the space I like to swim in. Yeah, that's that's the sweet spot for me. And variations in care are just fascinating to me. How is it that a patient Patient A and patient B present, same DRG, same, here I'm using financial terms, right? So same same clinical issue, this shows the, the lack of my clinical expertise, the same clinical issue, two patients, two different providers, two different care teams, and their care path could be completely different. The cost of that care path could be completely different, and the outcomes can be completely different. But potentially clinically, they present with maybe an identical issue. How is that possible? And we have so much variation even within the four walls of an acute care facility. I mean, I'm not even going to think about the entire continuum of care, but thinking thinking about the four walls within an acute care facility, why is that? Why is it that that there's so much variability there? And we see it in the data. You know, the the advent of an electronic health record like a McKesson or an Epic. You know, we we are so data rich. Now we need to use that to operationalize performance improvement and performance improvement in respect to like the quality of the care that we provide, right? So why is it that we're so different, even with order sets, even with preference cards, even with custom packs, even with um, sepsis protocols? Why is it that we're different? And I've just been nerding out on this. And I have a great group of colleagues that are able to mine um, data to determine, you know, what are those drivers to those differences? Is it a, a hard-coded phenomenon like an order set where I was at a facility, a physician had created a favorite for a certain type of patient and was sharing that favorite in Epic with their colleagues and friends. And that favorite had something like daily labs that were completely unnecessary and that physician left the facility and yet the favorite stayed around in all of these physicians orders so they were all doing daily labs and there was no reason for it when we asked them what do you use this information like no I don't even know why they're drawing because it's there it's a it's a relic of technology you know and and with some critical thinking and some questioning we were able to resolve that. And yet we're sticking a patient every single day and running tests that are expensive for no reason, that they're no value add. They don't offer any new information um, in the treatment of that patient um, or utilization of, of imaging or, or diagnostic procedures. Why is it that one physician would go one pathway and, and another physician a different pathway? So, so I find this so fascinating and, and, Obviously, my bent is the cost implication of this, but there are so many significant patient satisfaction and outcome implications to this as well. It's, you know, the downstream impact results in a, a bill that's ridiculous for them, which is inappropriate. They they may have to go through treatment that's unnecessary. You know, there's, there's just so much work that can be done in this space. And here I am just rambling because I'm so excited about it. But this is really the aha for me is like, wow, this is a connection to so many folks of this acute care healthcare wheel 
And then as you move beyond the, the acute world, the up and downstream implications as well. It's just so cool. It's just so cool. I love it. I love no, it. No, that, that, that was a great response. And it, it may actually lead us a little bit into the next question because I'd love to um, get your take on what changes are going on right now across the healthcare industry that you're excited about and what role do you see uh, quality professionals playing to promote it or to support its long-term success? Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to pontificate here and probably won't have a very popular opinion. And and clearly I'm not as educated as I need to be in, in what I'm about to say. So that's like my little qualifier. You can put a little asterisk next to what I'm going to say. But, you know, as we have new entrants into our industry, we have organizations, companies that are coming from other industries trying to make an impact in healthcare. So, you know, the Amazons and, and other technology companies that are, that are entering into healthcare because they feel like they have translatable technologies, ideas, processes, um, that could be beneficial to quote unquote solve the healthcare problem, whatever that is. You know, I I admire that because it creates a innovation competition where we're being challenged as healthcare insiders to think differently, to do differently, to be more nimble, to leverage technology. I think that that's that's critical. So so there's a good good thing um, happening because of that. Where where I worry is that general consumers, our regulators and leaders are thinking that these new entrants are going to solve our problem. And unfortunately, you know, we're making a whole large investment in these organizations so that they can come in and innovate. And yet I think that they're not acknowledging that healthcare like nuclear energy is so highly regulated that an Amazon like collecting information as you buy, as you as you use their tools, they're constantly watching us, right? They're collecting data, they're collecting information about us. You can't do that in healthcare. We have protections. We have, you know, protected health information. We have HIPAA. We have we have a lot of limitations that prevent us from from doing some of those quote unquote cool things because we need to be protected. You know, that's that's. That's our industry. And and I worry that they'll get frustrated with the the cost of being successful in healthcare and abandon. And and during that time we'll be making so much investment in, in those things like AI. Um and if they're not gonna be usable, then we're putting ourselves behind when there might be some more human factors opportunities to improve healthcare. Um, don't get me wrong, I I appreciate, understand and want and want these organizations to to be involved in healthcare and I feel like we can genuinely work, learn and get better. Um, I just fear that after several years of hitting brick walls that they might just say it's not worth it, you know, and that'll put us back. But you know, that's just my opinion. No, that, I think that's a very reasonable opinion. It's something definitely, um, you know, it, I think it warrants a huge discussion from, you know, these outside organizations that are doing great things in their industries and, and the potential they have in healthcare. 
Um, you know, I, I think I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I, I'm kind of a fan, kind of sitting back with my my bag of popcorn and wondering what's going to really transpire <laughs> over the next, you know, 20 years. Just you know, you got to give mm-hmm. realistic time frames for how fast healthcare moves. But it's going to be really interesting, and I think. Uh, you know, we're yeah. at an interesting interesting point in healthcare. So also no, seriously awesome well, answer there. Um I just think that we need to be careful. You know, I was listening to a presentation um for a startup a startup technology and you know, these guys were super bright. They had a really interesting technology that would help um the operations of an acute care facility. But when they were talking to me about their their technology the CEO of the company said, you know, just imagine how this could be used on your nursing ward. And I had like a moment, right? You know, I'm thinking, is this the 1950s? You know, do we have um, iron lungs all stacked up next to each other? There's no nursing ward. So, you know, who uses that terminology anymore? So what I what I get worried about is there are these exciting technologies that we can leverage. They're great ideas. And yet the folks that are building these technologies may not be familiar with the nuances of the world that we live in, and they could be opening us up for a lot of risk because we get so excited about using technology that we don't think about how they're going to be practically used, right? Um, So I think it's important as quality leaders, as leaders in healthcare, that we infuse ourselves in these conversations to make sure that we can operationalize these technologies. Well, let me throw this question at you because this, again, it's pretty connected at least to to the response that you just shared, but um, what is it that the healthcare industry can do to continue to be a attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality professionals, you know, to jump in and start their careers and grow their careers? So I actually, I pulled people because I knew you were going to ask me this question and I asked a whole bunch of our folks that are under 30 because I felt like that's kind of a young career, you know, under 30. Um, we still have some really experienced folks that have great technical knowledge, but, you know, they're still younger in their career that they could leave healthcare if they wanted to. Um, so I asked, you know, what are the things that we can do to not only keep you but attract new folks? and what I heard was um, healthcare is relatively high paying in comparison to some other industries, which we all probably can snicker at that, but whatever, let's just go with it. Um, so, so folks coming out of school, whether it be a master's program for administration or MBA or nursing school or uh, professional schools like medical school, pharmacy school, whatever, um, they they want to know that they have a solid, reliable career ahead of them, and and I think that healthcare is is that right. We have good job security because no matter how much we can leverage technology, we we can't be cured by a robot. You know, we'll we'll do as much as we can to to use technology. But in the end, when we think about things like telehealth, well, telehealth still has a provider somewhere that can help us, right? So so we do need this talent to understand that there is longevity in healthcare. There's always a need. Um, and, and as we grow as an industry, as we become more sophisticated as an injury, the in, industry, there is a place for them. 
so their ideas uh, will be helpful, right? And then we also have a group of people that are native to technology. So I didn't grow up with a computer in my household, and I know that you probably didn't either, right? So I got my first computer, I think, when I was at a freshman in high school, and we had internet. It was AOL, dial-up, super slow. You got mail. But we have people now that are in the workforce that grew up with a computer when they were a baby, and they and they saw their parents using technology. And soon we'll have uh, folks entering the workforce, if not already, that um, grew up with cell phones. They don't know a time before a cell phone or before a tablet, which is amazing. So this competency that they have that they're going to be bringing to the table is going to be incredibly useful. We become faster, leaner, meaner every generation, and, and now we're kind of in this like ramp up where it's just so amazing that we can leverage technology. So there is a place for them, particularly in the provider side, where I think that um, they're going to be more flexible, more nimble, and we have more need for those types of people. Um, so I, I'm super excited about what they can do for our industry. I rely so heavily on early careerists every day. So, so I, you know, I think that they're critical to, to my organization's success, my success, my client's success. It's super important. Well, awesome. That's a perfect perspective. And, Bianca, we're officially going to move you into what we call the two-minute drill. Um, very much our rapid fire Q and A session. So, uh, you ready to go? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. All right. So, Bianca, tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best day in and day out as a quality professional. Oh, the people that I work with, no doubt. They're super smart. I learn something every day from them. They are brilliant. Awesome. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Ah, okay. So I used to um, work for a chief nursing officer, and I went on a vacation, a long vacation, and was checking email and doing work on my laptop during this vacation, and it was like an amazing vacation. I was doing 17 days in the Middle East, exploring all these different cool countries, hanging out in the desert. Um, and when I came back, she said to me, uh, you were on vacation, and we were completely dependent on you when you were on vacation, and that is a problem, um, and that will be a career limiter for you because if you cannot teach people around you and your people to uh, be your replacement, you'll never be able to move up, and that was very sobering for me, very sobering, because I thought, wow, this organization needs me. And what she was telling me is, you're a bad leader. You know, that was my takeaway. And she was right. I, I was hoarding. I was um, not teaching. So I had to change. I had to change. That's an amazing piece of, uh, piece of advice there. And I'm throwing in this question because I remember you were such an avid traveler. I'm, I'm sure you still are. Um, what's the coolest destination you've been to lately? Oh, my goodness. So I've started really exploring Asian countries because – of course, the food is amazing, um, but also there are so many diverse cultures within Asia. So I have been going to Japan a lot lately, and I'm in love with Japan. I've been two years in a row, and it's just the most fun. I, I can't even imagine um, not going every year. It's just, oh, it's such a fantasy. 
Japan is a mysterious and beautiful place, and the people are so polite and kind and honest. Um, and, of course, the food is, like, amazing, too. But I enjoy going there every year now. Awesome. My wife and I did Japan a couple of years ago, and I came away with the same feeling. Like, if I if I could have moved there, I probably would have. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Bianca, do you have a mentor that has made an impact on your career? You know, I really – I have an adverse reaction to this question. <laughs> I just, I think the, I don't like the traditional concept of a mentor. It just really bothers me. I don't know if it's my egotism or it just feels so dated. Um, I don't, and, and it feels like very condescending, like someone that takes me under their wing. I just hate it. So I like to think of things in terms of a board of directors. Um, so if I'm, if I'm a company, uh, and, and I wish I could claim this as, as my own idea, but this is actually, um, shared with me by a former leader of mine, Kelly Rakowski, who, um, I respect very much. And she shared with me, you know, think of a board of directors, you're an organization, a company, and in order for you to be an effective company, you need to access expertise across many domains, Right. And this is this can be um, folks that help enhance you personally in your personal life, emotionally, academically, uh, professionally. But you have a, a, a group of people that you access information from. You you respect their opinion and advice. So so if I think about my board of directors, you know there there are seats that are rotating, and then there are more permanent seats. And without a doubt. The, the two most permanent seats in my board of directors are my parents. I have a very, very, very close relationship with my, my mother and father. Um, I respect their opinion. I access them all the time, and they're super important to me. They're very, very brilliant people. Um, so they, they have the longest standing and most important seats on my board of directors. And then, and then I have other people that I respect. So. Um, a board of director seat goes to my current boss, John McLean. I find him to be a great inspiration. He offers great guidance. He's very smart, um, is encouraging and kind, and, and I respect that. And he offers me so much perspective. Uh, Scott McCarver, who's the CEO of Vanderbilt uh, Medical Center, he's in a very long career uh, board of director member, and, and he he offers me great perspective on the industry. He he challenges me in a way that I appreciate because I love to be told I'm wrong. I love to be told that I need to be thinking about things differently. That's one of my favorite things that he does. Um, I mentioned Heather Spencer, who is a former colleague of mine when I was at Duke and um, really offers a lot of great perspective to me. And, and even my team, you know, they rotate seats too. They're telling me that they, they don't agree or I should do this or here's what their opinion is, and I appreciate that. That's super important to me. So I hate mentors. Boo. I don't like it. Um, much more of accessing the expertise and perspective of people that I respect. No, that's an awesome reply. I, um, so with a lot of folks that I work with and coach, I, I share with them to also look at themselves like a business, but I've never – share with them to consider instead of the mentor mindset, the board of directors. So I will officially be stealing that. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, steal it. Well, I stole it. So it's, <laughs> it's getting passed around like the Hope Diamond. 
There you go. Um, so, Bianca, share with us a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality initiatives. Oh, I drink a lot of coffee. No, I'm serious. Energy is super important. I think that, I know, I'm sure that coffee is not a good habit, and I get that. Um, but so much of my professional persona and ability to be effective is contingent on having high energy. You know, I think that that's um, part of my my personal brand, which everyone can roll their eyes when when I say that. It's part of what I value as a, in, in myself as a person is having high energy, presence, enthusiasm. It's super important to me. So uh, if I need to drink a cup of coffee in the morning so I can get started, that's fine. If I have to eat a piece of chocolate at 2 or 3 p.m., I can't say definitively that there's any other organizational or leadership habit that I rely on besides making sure that I, I'm able to to have that type of energy and dedication in my day-to-day. That's that's important to me. It's very important. No, it's funny. I laugh because I was thinking you were so high energy. You probably don't need coffee, but now I officially know your superpower. Mm, or no. you, yeah, yeah, I know your weakness, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That was awesome. Um, next question I have for you is, could you share with us your number one Internet resource that helps you to be the most productive? I don't I don't use the internet to be productive. I think the internet is a distraction. That's probably not what people want to hear. But, you know, I I find that I can get information from other people um in a more illustrative, dynamic and interesting way. So I'm I'm not like googling stuff. That's that's not really my shtick. I don't enjoy it. it and then you, it's a it's a black hole. So I'll, 2 hours later I emerge with real you know, very few additional good information pieces. I I don't spend time on the internet. Awesome. Awesome. You are the one for such interesting answers. I I, want to say maybe perhaps (laughs) for all the shows so far, Google has been like the number one answer. So (laughs) next question I have for you then, uh, could you share with our quality people a professional association and a professional conference that you think would be a value add? You know, I've been kind of hit or miss with professional associations. I think that they're particularly helpful for early careerists, for networking, and just access to to new perspective and information. Um, I, of course, belong to professional organizations, but I can't say that I'm probably making the best use of those. Um, But I do attend many professional organizations, organizations conferences uh, or summits, um, mostly in my in my leadership role that I have, where I'm representing my organization or sharing thought leadership, um, but I can say personally, I got the most out of recently the Becker CEO CLO Summit. It happens in the fall in Chicago, and the reason why I like that particular event is because instead of having just straight up podium presentations, they had panels of executives. So they'll have three CFOs or three CEOs talking about a specific topic and and real examples from their organization about what they're doing to solve that problem or to try something different. And I just love that. I love being able to hear real examples. It wasn't a sales pitch. They were talking about the good, the bad, the ugly. They were very transparent about the pitfalls that they had or the challenges they had with staff or the board or, you know, whatever it is. And I just found that fascinating. Most, you know, the one that I I think of most recently that I, just, I keep on thinking about is there are three CFOs on one panel, and they were talking about how 
they're they're launching into alternative businesses. So organizations that have now retail space, they're doing weight loss uh, retail. They're jumping into biotech companies and investing in biotech companies. They have a hotel. You know, it's, I just, I thought that that was the coolest thing. So to me, the Becker's uh, event was really helpful, and I can't wait to go again next year. And the highlight of Becker's was this year, um, Hillary Clinton was speaking. She was the keynote, and I had an opportunity to meet with her, and I had a picture taken with her, which was like, oh, my goodness. I was just – I almost started crying. Looking into her eyes is like looking into a, a unicorn's eyes. Oof. It was so powerful. <laughs> and I know that my friends will make fun of me for saying that, but, you know, I really enjoyed that. So big deal to awesome. me. Awesome. Great recommendation there then. Could you share with us one book? that you think our listeners would benefit from and why? Well, you know, I don't I don't read or listen to books that are related to work. I do that by design. Um, I, and I know that's probably disappointing because reading is a really important part of um, educating yourself about your industry. But I find um, modern healthcare as a, as a publication much more helpful to me in my day-to-day work. I want to be able to see real examples of what other organizations are doing. I want to be able to get timely regulatory and legislative updates. I want to be able to see what other consultancies are working on. So to me, that's more important than sitting down and reading a book about leadership or, you know, healthcare, finance, or whatever. I know that that's that's a different perspective and and, um, shows kind of like my bite size or in the moment type mentality. Um, but I, I really do like that better. Uh, and then and similarly, I'll, I'll also read the Harvard Business Review just because I think that that kind of feeds my leadership soul a little bit um, and really inspires me to, to think differently about the work that I do or who I am as a person, um, but but not a book, not a book. No, well, you know, uh, in all fairness, I've tussled with this question a bit because what, when I originally designed the question out, I wanted it to be, book publication and podcast. So I wanted to like hit all three because I know, you know, listeners and the folks, the the guests that I've been interviewing so far are so dynamic. So because of your reply, I may just go back and, and put in my original uh question, but I wanted to kind of keep everything narrowed down a little bit. So thank you for making me think differently about a question that I was already questioning anyway. So yeah, yeah. Well, I do like podcasts. I love podcasts, and not necessarily healthcare specific. One of my favorite podcasts is How I Built This, where they interview mm-hmm. successful entrepreneurs, and I actually get a lot out of that podcast for my own business. You know, I think about resiliency and being able to to recover from rejection or negative um, events. I find that that can be really helpful. So I do like that podcast. Okay, awesome. I appreciate that. Any future podcasts that folks should be listening to? Hint, hint. <laughs> this one, of course. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get an easy, easy plug there. All right, let me move you to the next yeah, question, Bianca. And yeah, and I have to be honest, this is the slobber knocker now. This is one of my personal favorites because I'm uh-huh. going to get you to think simultaneously, you know, reflect on your past while you look forward to your future. So, Let's say you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second to think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? 
So I'm sure you're wanting me to say something super profound, but I'm not going to. <laughs> because, I'm not surprised. You know, not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I just I don't I don't love kind of ruminating on the past or what the future is because it's, it's like the, the lever for insanity, right? So, so I think that I would probably be pushing it pushing a question on to the recipient, the me recipient. So if I was sending a text message um, to me in the future, I would probably say, because I'm always going through some sort of like professional existential crisis, is, is this worth it? You know, all of the long hours, all of the, the reading, the traveling, the talking to me, is this really worth it? And genuinely wanting an answer, you know, tell me about how what the future looks like that all of your hard work pays off because I genuinely believe like all of my hard work has paid off. If I'm, I'm sending uh, a text message to, to myself in the past, I probably would say it's worth it. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give up. Right. Right. Don't give up. Um, so encouraging of myself and then self doubting as well. You know, that's typical, right? So, so the ego gets pumped, and then you also have this this reflection of you know inadequacy and, and wanting to be reassured. That's who I am. I get it. You said you weren't going to be profound. I actually found that very profound. Oh, so okay. It, well, good. It is it worth it? It it is worth it. I love it. So, uh, yeah. Bianca, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, first and foremost, just the yeah. the stories, the uh, energy love the positive energy, the focus, and the vibe that you share today. Um, thank you so much for your time and, and your story. Um, before I end the show, before I let you go today, I would love for you to give our quality people a parting piece of advice and the best way that they can follow or connect with you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. You know, I I don't think that I'm qualified to give anyone good advice. I have to be honest because everyone needs to find their own path, and 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 that's my advice. You know, find your own path, right? Get your board of directors and talk to people. I don't make any decisions without talking to people. Um, so that's that's my advice. As far as how to connect with me, LinkedIn. Please, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. I love I love learning about what other people are doing. I post a lot of content on LinkedIn, thought leadership that my team and I create, whether it be articles in our professional journals or ebooks or podcasts or whatever. And I can't wait to post this podcast on LinkedIn so that folks can learn more about you, um, which is great because I know a lot of great people and I can't wait to, to learn more about them and also share with everybody all of the cool things that my colleagues are doing. So uh, go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. All right, perfect. Well, Bianca, again, I can't thank you enough. I know that we'll be in touch and we'll continue to stay in touch. Um, I appreciate your leadership, your professionalism, and just your, your friendship. So thank you very much. Thank you. This is great. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.